Welcome, 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 welcome to the third episode of the Grace Apologetics Podcast. Yeah, it was like a huge break between episode two and episode three, simply because everything around me just started crashing. Oh my, oh my gadgets started crashing, my phone stopped charging. A lot of things started to go wrong. It was it's funny because it's it's funny because they started to go wrong when I was told the price of publishing a book or rather publishing the many copies that I want to do for my book larger than life. <laughs> I was like, okay. I was like, okay, I always when whenever there's something whenever there's something in my life that is bigger than me, I always say like that's now God's issue i live i live by um i live by matthew chapter 6 matthew chapter 6 and verse matthew 6 verse 2 okay i found it yeah matthew 6 and verse 26 to 33 that says behold the fowls of the air for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are you not much better than they? You, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature. And why take ye thought for remnant? Consider the lilies in the field, how they grow. They toil not, they toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you, even though Solomon, in his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which to this day is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, or ye of little faith? Therefore, take no thought, saying, What shall we drink? Or what shall we eat? In verses, or where, or where we thaw, shall we be clothed? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth you need you, ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for tomorrow. For tomorrow shall take care, shall take thought for things of itself, sufficient until the day. Until the day, until the day is evil thereof. I'm sorry about my reading skills, but it's close to midnight. If you're a Michael Jackson fan, you know that that's the first line to thriller. <laughs> Michael Jackson reference. Anywho, yeah. So like when I was told the price. For publishing a book a price that i looked and i was like <laughs> i thought mm, mm. but each time that verse has always been the verse that has helped me through whatever uncertainty i have had in my life for instance and this was the first time this was the first time i ever used this um while i was that university while i was at university 
I had um, uh, my dad had come previously to get my things, so I was just left with uh, with a few clothes enough until the break and my laptop. And so, like, I realized as I was pack as the break came, I was packing, and I realized that um nothing. Like like there was no there was not enough space. I realized that there was not enough space, and so I decided, um, in Zambia there's what we call echitenge, which is basically a wrap. It's like a, it's like a bedsheet, and so I decided I'll put those I'll put my clothes in that and tie it. And now the the thing is that I'm not sure if they allow those things in buses. That's one thing I'm not sure of. And I just said, you know what? Whatever happened will happen. Like, I mean, I was tired and I wanted to sleep. And I just thought, you know what? If they refuse, they refuse. There's nothing I can do at the moment. And I didn't I didn't even pray. Like, let me be honest. It's not like I prayed, oh God, help me sort this thing out. I never prayed. I just I just I just said whatever happened will happen. And just so happened the on the following day, my mom called me around seven, eight. And she was upset, and I did not know why. <laughs> I did not know why, but she, she called me, and she was like, you're not awake. And I'm like, am I supposed to be awake? She goes like, yeah, we spoke at five. Now, this is like the worst thing you can do is speak to me while I am sleeping. Especially if I'm super exhausted, because like my brain adds you to my dream, if that makes sense. It's like... The conversation happened, but the conversation happened. But when I wake up, I feel the conversation happened in my head. Not as a real conversation. And so, and sometimes I even forget. Sometimes, like, I'm asleep and I wake up, and then someone comes and tells me, Oh, by the way, you said this. And I'm like, No, I did not. But that happens in very extreme cases when I'm super tired. Yeah. And so she called me and said, Oh, by the way, your dad is coming. That's what I told you. I told you that you can put his stuff. You can put your stuff in his car. I'm like, thank you, Jesus. It was like a sigh of joy. I was like, Whew, we are, we are a go. <laughs> we are a go. And then like, like my dad saw that wrap, my clothes in that wrap thingy. And he asked me, he goes like, they don't allow these on buses. So what were you going to do? And I said, the birds of the air. And I quoted that scripture. I probably misquoted it. Or rather, as I said, or as I say, paraphrased it. I said, well, the birds of the air have no worry. Like, yeah. I can't believe I just forgot the verse. It's not. It's like I, I, it's like I wasn't just reading it just a few minutes ago, and he goes like, "Wow, I've never met someone with that much faith," and honestly, that has the, that that has been like the one thing going for me. It's been the one thing going for me each time I venture into something that I do not know. I'm like, okay, <laughs> I don't know if it's I don't know if that's that that's right Christianity where you just like do stupid stuff and then expect God to bail you out. And it's not like it's 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 doing extreme stuff. It's I do what I need to do. Like I don't go anywhere where I'm not supposed to go. 
even like when I'm home, I I don't really go anywhere where I'm not supposed to. I usually go to places where I have planned to buy something that I need or I have been sent because I still live with my parents. And so they take me, they send me whichever way they want me to go. Hopefully I'll live here soon. <laughs> I love them. And, and so it's not like I never, it's not like I ever go anywhere where I'm not supposed to be because I feel that's like, no, that's like an, that's like another extreme case where okay, like yeah, yeah, that's where you that's where I feel that testing God comes in, where you want to do something extreme that you're not supposed to be doing, and then you expect God to bail you out. I think that's the difference between faith and testing God is that where where you need faith is in a place where you're supposed to be, but where you come and test God, you're in a place where you're not supposed to be. For instance. Um, when Jesus was taught by Satan to to jump off the pinnacle of the temple, that was testing God because that was something very unnecessary for Jesus to do. I mean, yeah, God can perform miracles, but that's that's stupid. <laughs> it's plain stupid. Whereas faith would be Jesus knowing that he will be raised from the dead by God. I think that's that's the best example I can prove because Jesus knew that he was at that time he should be crucified and he should die knowing that he will be raised. Another example is um in the book of Acts um Paul says that he wanted to go teach in a certain place but the spirit of Jesus the Holy Spirit told him not to preach. Now Lord knows whatever would have happened to Paul at that place. But if he went if he went and disobeyed the Holy Spirit, he would have probably gotten himself killed. Now I know that's like a very extreme thing to say, but I mean Paul was was, was always at the brink of death. Whereas everywhere he went as the Holy Spirit laid him, he was stoned. Now I always say this is that um I have theories. I have a lot of theories. And so I always make sure that I separate my biblical doctrine from my theories. And each time I have theories, that's I always say, okay, now this is just my opinion. So you can take that with a pinch of salt. Because it's not really like the whole like the Jesus example is founded by by scriptural backing. Whereas the poor example is just something that I thought. Yeah, and so my, I was talking about, and so that was like the thing that that kind of like threw me off is that is like is I was told the price of how much I would need to publish the book, and now I'm like, ish, and I'm like, why did I start this anyway? But I believe that um, I believe that God will help me. Like I know that's also cliche because you got people going, "Yes, so a cedar, and the Lord will bless you." I don't know, I don't know if that's, I, I don't know if that's the truth. I don't believe in seed sowing. That's just me. I don't believe in seed sowing because I, I don't believe you can bribe God. That's that's how I look at seed sowing. Is it? It's kind of. It's kind of. It's kind of. It's kind of. 
you trying to, 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 to twist God's arm. It's like, okay, God, look at how much I'm giving you. And, you know, it's when people always give, like, the example of Solomon, saying that, Solo, like, the sacrifice that Solomon made before God, right before he asked God for wisdom. That's the one thing that Solomon seemed, that's the one thing that, that a lot of these people talk about, is that, um, is that they'll tell you how big the sacrifice that Solomon made, how they'll tell you about the magnitude of Solomon's sacrifice and they say that it was so big that it shocked God spoiler alert you can't shock God he knows everything past present and future anyway but they say that it shocked God so much that God came to Solomon and said hey I've never seen anybody give a sacrifice this big and so and so God asked Solomon what do you want? And Solomon asked for wisdom. A lot of those people that talk about seed sowing always talk about this scripture. I don't believe in seed sowing. I just do. I just don't think. I feel seed sowing puts God in the same places or the other pagan gods. Like, okay, there's a. I'll come to that anyway. Um, because when you look at any of the pagan gods, you're always trying to please them. Whereas the Bible, the God of the Bible is a God that cannot be pleased. That's the whole point of Jesus' sacrifices, that we're not enough for God. Though he loves us, we're still not enough to be with him. And so he had to come in the form of a man and put us at that one man, at that union with him, that we can please him through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So you see, it's, it's a lot of work to please God. You can't please God without Jesus. It starts with Jesus. That's the first step in pleasing God. That's the only way to please God is you becoming a child of God. And even if you become a child of God, there's no guarantee that you're going to be rich or you're going to get anything. I mean, and I'm not saying that you have to be poor or have, you have to be rich to be a child of God. Um, but... There are a lot of things that children of God go through. There are a lot of things that children of God go through. Just reading the entire New Testament. Because like the Old Testament, you can't really narrow down Christian experiences to the Old Testament because the Old Testament is a theocracy where God is in charge of a nation. And so like even like the extreme things like, let's say, stoning an adulteress an adulterer because because women are not the only adulterers men also commit adultery i mean it's an act of two i mean i don't think masturbation is considered adultery so if you're gonna if there's an adulteress then there's an then there's an adulterer and so like things like adultery we we can't stone anybody for adultery today we can't stone a false prophet, even though I'd love to stone a false prophet. <laughs> I'm, I'm evil. You, you can't. You can't. Um, and so, like that's that's the difference is that the the law, the Old Testament law, was meant to govern a nation. Whereas what we believe with the New Testament is that um, we believe in the moral law that is the Ten Commandments. 
That is, you love God with everything that you are and you love your neighbor as you love yourself. And so like you look at the Christian experiences within the New Testament and they're not very easy. Like only John, only John, the apostle, the writer of John 1st, 2nd and 3rd and John and Revelation is the only person, is the only apostle that we know that died of natural causes and died well in his old age. A lot of the apostles were killed. Paul was beheaded. Peter was crucified. Other guys were dragged through the town. It was brutal. And it even got worse after the apostles because you had knee, you had you had Emperor Nero and you had Diocletian, who were among the worst persecutors of Christians you ever ever see. And so and so my point is, you pleasing God through coming to Jesus is not a guarantee that you're gonna be ri- you're gonna be rich. You're not going to in fact even fasting. I was reading um first Samuel second Samuel thirteen. I hope it's thirteen. I was reading second Samuel thirteen in the morning and um in the morning of the day I'm recording this. And there the whole Bethsheba, the whole David Bathsheba Uriah thing that happened for context in chapter 12 um David was supposed to go to the battle of the kings the battle of the kings but Bathsheba but something but Bathsheba oh my goodness yeah David was supposed to go to the battle of the kings but he didn't feel like going and so he stayed at home and then he got bored and went to the roof and then he saw Bathsheba bathing and let me just say this is that the most dangerous work weapon in this world is the womb, is a female body. It has brought empires down. My gosh. Anywho, so he sees Bathsheba bathing and he is like, I like that. And he goes and he goes to sleep with her. And then she is pregnant. There was no protection, I guess. <laughs> she is pregnant and David panics and calls her husband from the battlefield named Uriah. And Uriah refuses to sleep with his wife because his mind is still on the war. And so David sees that there is no hope in making Uriah raise his child. And so he tells the commander to put Uriah where the battle is the hottest so that he can be killed. And so because of that, God was not pleased with him. And so God told David that his child will not live and David tried to change God's mind by fasting. And he even says it himself is that when the child is alive, I have a chance to assist. I have a chance probably that the Lord might find favor in me. He says that. He knows that fasting works. And he fasts. But God did what God was going to do. Because God punishes sin. Even with Christians, God punishes sin. That's why Jesus had to come, because God needs to punish sin. (laughs) You know, sometimes I've got points. Sometimes I don't have points. 
Here I'm winging it until I get into the meat of the thing. Anyway, but my point is, is that um, God blessing you is solely dependent on him. This is from, from scripture, that's what I know, is that God blessing you is dependent on him. Though it, it is not wrong for us to ask God to bless us. And he will bless us if he wants to. Like, you shouldn't really force God. I mean, if he doesn't want to bless you, there's probably something he wants you to learn from it. You may not understand it now, but you you will understand it eventually. You will understand it eventually. And so I am believing in God. I'm believing in God for funds. Like, don't talk about money. Don't worry, I'm not prosperity preacher I, I preach i preach the gospel and so i know god god will provide for me if you want to fund it that would be really nice but i know god will provide it for me because i mean it's it's unto his glory and if he doesn't provide if he doesn't provide the funds i'll still i'll still worship him i'll be touched that i don't get to publish my book but that's not that's nothing that's nothing it really is. And so I've, I, I've been promising. I've made a lot of empty promises with this podcast, to be honest. But I've been promising that I, I promised in the first two episodes, and it's come, it's come up both times, that I was going to talk about what grace apologetics is. Because a lot of people do not know. <laughs> a lot of people ask me, what does apologetics mean? Why? Are you sorry for being a Christian? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> I always find it funny when somebody says that. No. But I'll get to that. I'll get to that. Anyway, so simple. Grace apologetics is basically about two things. It's basically about Jesus, who I believe is grace personified. When I was talking about my testimony, I said the thing that hooked me into Christianity is discovering Jesus in all scripture. Because I feel like you need to be a force outside of time for you to detail to detail those things because like problem is we have a we have the complete bible so we don't understand how long it took to write the bible because it took a couple of thousand years to write the bible and so we think that so we think that everything is an elaborate conspiracy conspiracy and on my blog on wordpress i'm going to talk about um how can we know the bible is Sure, but you can look at people who've already done that. People like Chuck Missler. He has it on his YouTube channel, Koinania House. So Jesus is grace personified. And that's the first thing that I talk about is that I don't talk about any Jesus except the biblical Jesus and the historical Jesus because those are two of the same. Jesus says, Jesus I. They're two of the same person. I hope I don't go to hell for that. I don't think God is that petty anyway. God is not that petty. It's just a harmless joke. You know, like I was talking about the, the light of the world. And I was like, and I made the joke saying, is Jesus bad in chemistry? People were like, oh, you don't say that about Jesus. I'm like, guys, it was a joke. <laughs> yeah, anyway, so we talk about Jesus, the historical and the biblical Jesus. And I center myself on apologetics is that I answer questions. Okay, I'll get to that. So let's talk about Jesus. Um, 
I believe that Jesus is the second person of the Trinity and he's worthy of our worship just as the Father is worthy of our worship, just as the Holy Spirit is worthy of our worship. Now, a lot of people do not know what the Trinity is. Is it three gods? Is it is it one God in different manifestations? No. It is... The concept of the Trinity is one God as three persons. Like, what? One being, three persons. Okay? A being is what something is. And a person is who something is. For instance, what I am is a human. That boing is a text message. What I am is a human. Who I am is Victor, a black African 22-year-old guy. Okay. I hope that is clear. And so with the Trinity, what Jesus is, is God. What the Father is, is God. What the Holy Spirit is, is God. But who the Father is, is the Father. Who the Son is, is the Son. Who the Holy Spirit is, is the Holy Spirit. They're distinct in their characteristics because it would not make sense for Jesus to sit down on us, to sit down with his head bowed down on a rock during his toughest night and saying, Oh, Father, take this cup away from me. Because it would sound like, Oh, me, take this cup away from me. You can't talk to a lot of people a lot of people make it make fun of make fun of make fun of Jesus like he's schizophrenic he hears voices in his head like like he's saying that oh me let me not like oh me take this cup of suffering away from me I will go and then I will send you another comforter who is me it's like that's that's in that's in John chapter fourteen when he's introducing the Holy Spirit, saying that I will go and I will pray to the Father and He will send another Comforter, that being the Holy Spirit. There, like, just think of how confusing this is on Jesus's baptism, because the Father was seated in heaven, the Holy Spirit was descending as a dove, and Jesus was in the water. So how could He be in three places at once? Well, He's omnipresent. No, <laughs> that's nonsense. The omnipresent thing doesn't doesn't fly. Because clearly, yes, God is everywhere. But in that particular moment, he was in heaven. The voice of the Lord came. And the Holy Spirit descended on him as a dove. It's interesting defending the position of the Trinity because there are a lot of there are a lot of misconceptions. But you can see that there are a lot of places where the Trinity are distinct. My favorite is actually Psalm chapter two, which is which is literally a conversation between which is literally a conversation amongst the members 
I will read it. Psalm chapter 2. Why do the heathens rage? And the people imagine a vain thing. The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break down their bands. Let us take break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. He that sitteth he that sitteth in heaven laughs. I love that because it's God laughing. The only verse you will ever hear God laughing. The Lord, the Lord shall have them derision. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. Yet I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. That's the father. This is the son now. I would decree I would decree the decree the Lord has said unto me thou art my son and this day I have conceived thee ask me of anything I shall give the heathens for thy inheritance and the uttermost part of the earth as thy possession and I think this is now the Holy Spirit Thou shalt break them with a rod. Thou shalt dash them in pieces like possessors. Be wise now, therefore, O kings. Be instructed, ye judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and perish from when his wrath is kindled. But a little, blessed are all they that put their trust in him. See, three different people having a conversation. It's like a meeting and it's like now the counsel of God. You have the Father, you have the Word, and you have the Holy Spirit. I love it. I love it. It's like, you know, in, in, in layman's terms, I can probably equate it to light, but it's, that's, not, that's, not a very, that's not a very sufficient um comparison but i equate it to light because like its essence is light what it is is light but it's made up of three components that is that is visible light invisible light and the heat wave i know that's a very sloppy way now what makes this difficult different from all the pantheons is this gender god is genderless even though he is, even though he had he addresses himself with a masculine pronoun. Jesus is a man, obviously, but God is genderless. There are no genders in heaven. But with the other pantheons, you have, um, you know, like they they even higher gods, they're lower gods. You know, like they're not one in essence. There are many in essence. And there are many, and if there are many in essence, by default, there are many in persons. I, I mean, I mean, it's not something we should, we should, we should go back and forth. And a lot of people like, like, oh, you Christians, you, especially the atheists, they go like, like, like Christians are atheists. It's just that, it's just that they believe in one more God than an atheist. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all at an equal playing field. There is no one who is more God than the other God. 
the other gods, the other people have ranks like I mean one is more god than the other. <laughs> anyway, that's for something else. That that's another that's a that's a discussion we'll get back to. This is introduction to Grace Apologetics. Grace Apologetics believes that Jesus is the eternal word that came into this earth in the flesh. <laughs> Sorry. Grace Apologetics we believe that um Jesus is the eternal word. That came into this world in the form of a man in order to save the world. Now, here's the thing is that in as much as Jesus is God, Jesus is also man. He was born of a woman. People go like, well, then should we say that Mary is the mother of God? God does not have a mother. Jesus, the man, had a mother, not God. Because God created Mary. So John chapter 1, I like John because he says spooky things. He says, he says things that don't make sense if you don't know what you're looking for. For instance, Matthew starts with the genealogy from Abraham to Joseph. Mark does not care about the genealogy because to him Jesus is a servant. He came as a suffering servant. And that's the lens in which he writes his gospel from. Luke starts with the genealogy of Jesus all the way to Adam. Now, this is how John starts his gospel. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God, and all things were made by him, and without him was, none, was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was a light for men. And that light shineth in the darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not there was a man sent from god whose name was john the light came from a witness to bear witness to the light that all men through him might believe he was not the light but he was sent to bear witness to that light that was the that was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world he was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, but of nor of the will of man, but of the will of God. And the flesh and the word was made flesh and dwelt amongst us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as one of the only begotten Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. My gosh, that's a beautiful definition. I love I love John's gospel. For me it's John, Luke, Matthew, Mark. I'm sorry, Mark. I'm sorry, but that's how I rank the gospels. I like John because he's mystic. No, let me not use mystic. His his he speaks in a spiritual language. I like to look because he's detail oriented. I don't I don't know why I placed Matthew before Mark. Maybe it was because it was the first gospel I ever completed reading. Anywho, 
Yes. And so I believe that Jesus is the eternal word of God that came to save mankind. We believe that the Bible is breathed by the Spirit. It's simple. Second Timothy 3.16. All scripture is spirit breathed. That's all. <laughs> I believe in the death, resurrection, the physical death, physical, physical. That is the word. Physical. It shouldn't be spiritual. It is physical. It happened on this world. There was, there was no, there, there were no smoke and mirrors. Jesus did really die. Here's the thing is that everything else about Jesus' life can be disputed. But the one thing that can't be disputed, that even atheist historians say, cannot be disputed is that Jesus of Nazareth did die. Another thing that cannot be disputed, and I'll get to it in later days. The, the other thing that cannot be disputed is the fact that the disciples saw something that led them to give their lives for the mission that became Christianity. Okay? And so due to the above statements, Grace Apologetics, or rather Victor Menger, argues against any Jesus that attained Godhead. A lot of people say that Jesus is just another ascendant master. I don't believe in that, and I'll argue you till, till my face turns blue. <laughs> I'm black. My, first, my face can't turn blue. I don't think I've ever seen a black person have their face, their face turn blue. Any you... This is let me not get into race issues. <laughs> mm, yes. So if if Jesus went into the higher plane, I don't believe in that. We don't talk about that here. And I and those are those are positions that I argue against Jesus. Any Jesus that was merely a man, he was a good teacher. I do a don't even get me started. Don't get me started when you start saying things like he was a good teacher. Or the Muslim view that any Jesus, that Jesus was not crucified. If he is not crucified, he's not Jesus. Jesus of Nazareth. Yeshua HaNazari That's bad Hebrew. But yes, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews, was crucified. Now, apologetics is simply giving a, giving a defense for your faith. In a nutshell, that's what apologetics is. Probably it's obviously wider than that. But in a nutshell, that's what apologetics is. And so this so I basically argue against two primary worldviews, and that's the Islamic worldview and the atheistic worldview. I argue against the Islamic worldview because I don't like false prophets, and I believe Muhammad is the biggest false prophet in history. <laughs> I remember the first time I saw on my blog that I had Saudi Arabia, Saudi Arabian viewers. I got scared. Now this is not, this is not what this is not a Muslim thing. It's an Islam thing. It's always good to understand the worldview to differentiate the worldview from the people because there are some Muslims that don't that are very peaceful. And a lot of people will tell you that oh. Islam is not a violent religion. I have a friend or I have a neighbor 
that is the best guy in the world. And kudos to him if he's the best guy in the world. But if you read the Quran, you understand that Islam is a very violent religion. And so I, that's why I argue against it, because I categorize him with people like Kenneth Copeland, T.B. Joshua, etc., etc. The atheistic worldview. I really don't have a problem, okay, other than not believing in God. I really don't have a problem with the atheistic worldview, except that it makes sense to me. And so I'd prefer to, um, it just doesn't make sense to me. And so, but I, but, uh, I don't think I would say I, I defend, I don't think I would say that I do it as frequent as I do with, with the Islamic worldview. I think with like the atheist worldview, I just answer questions like, how can you prove God's existence and, um, God and the Canaanites, their favorite or how can a loving God go to hell? Or how can a loving God send you to hell? Those are the, the, the things that I do with atheistic. I don't really go at the core of it. I don't really like with Islam where I actually study the material. Um, because with, with atheism, I just look through it from um, them wanting to ask questions about God. Not really... Not really in the same vein as I do with Islam, because I, because I, again, as I said, I classify Muhammad with people like Benny Hinn, and so like um because, and so you judge religious figures differently from non-religious figures. At least in my eyes, that's what I do. Yes, and so because of, because I think I just mentioned it, we 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 answer questions about Christianity. I answer questions about Christianity. If you're having problems with your Christian faith or your work with God, you can come to me. You can you can you can reach me through my various variouses, and I will get to you. Good, it would be good to hear from you. Um, we also expose error, doctrinal errors, and tactics within the Christian faith. Now, I say I put Muhammad in that box because it is a common belief that Islam is just an extension. It's the new New Testament. Um, it is believed that um, is that um, everybody got their own version of that. At least that's what Muhammad says, that everybody got their own version of God's revelation. God's revelation. And so that's why he tells the Christians to judge by their books and tells the Jews to also judge by their books. And so it, Muslims believe that Islam is a branch of Christianity. And they even tell you that we believe in Jesus, we believe in Moses, we believe in all your guys. It's just a shame that you don't believe in our guy. And so that's why I can't classify him. But this doctrinal errors and heretics thing is for people like Joel Osteen, people like um, Benny Hinn, Kenneth Copeland. Oh my goodness, Kenneth Copeland. Oh my goodness, Kenneth Copeland. He just like, I just sucked the life out of myself just talking. I'm just saying his name. Ow. Because here's the thing is that um, you are in charge of someone's soul. Their eternal destiny Every preacher that preaches, every teacher that teaches, and this is why they're harsh, they're judged more harshly, because their literal eternal destiny hangs in the soul of one man. Now, I understand that a Christian should do 
his homework. But here's the thing is that you are like God's wingman and you're introducing God. That's a very interesting way to put it. And you're introducing God to that person. And so you need to know what God you are introducing to that person. Are you bringing Jesus, Allah, Vishnu, <laughs> Krishna, Devaki, um, Odin, Thor, Zeus, what God are you introducing to that person? You need to be careful there. So that's why we expose heretics because it's like, firstly, it's very easy for you to call God a liar, which he is not. Secondly, I mean, we just need, like, it's, it's, I really hate it because you can see a helpless person trying to do their best into growing in Christ and then they meet this guy and then he just confuses them. And Paul says that you should not be confused by the simplicity that's in Christ Jesus. Simplicity is the key word. Last, or second from last, grace apologetics. Talks about the new age. Universalism, the Tower of Babel, um, um, the new apostolic reformation. Just all these strange things that are starting to filter. I mean, divination, astrology, the Enneagram. Just recently, I was looking at the Myers-Briggs personality stuff. And I enjoyed that stuff. Oh, my goodness. But there was always a nagging feeling within me as to whether I should continue to explore it. And so I, I did what a responsible Christian would do. And I was like, okay, you know what, God, if this is not of this, if this is not from you, I will stop. And so I looked at its history and its pagan ties, and from there I have stopped. And I hope I could, I can get into it in a future episode. Anything that is filtering to the Christian from the New Age place, I am going. I make arguments for it. And lastly, and this is the latest addition to the Grace Apologetics canon, is that we're talking about masculinity. We're, we'll talk about, we talk about the difference between toxic masculinity and biblical masculinity. We talk about biblical femininity. We are going to talk about um, feminine masculine, feminine men. Like, women are becoming masculine and men are becoming feminine people are reversing their roles and so we're going back to the adam and eve model that god set for us and also it's in this part it's going to be lifestyle christianity i believe is a lifestyle i believe it's a lifestyle not a religion it's a relationship and a lifestyle there are a lot of changes that you make when you become a Christian. And so, especially within this, I'll talk a lot about penis health, which is a very weird thing to say here, but I already said it in one, in both episodes. I'm going to talk about the dangers of porn. I'm going to talk about your sexual health and your mental health and your spiritual health. I'm not going to say keep a balance or whatever. I don't, I don't, 
I believe you just walk according to the steps. There's no balances that you need to keep. Like, I don't really like... And I understand that, yes, God wants us to be healthy. And he's given us these things, these bodies, that we may maintain them, that we may make them our own gardens and not bushes. And so cleanliness is important. That's very important. I believe working out is important too because you need to be able to, as a man, you need to be able to defend your house. So should you practice martial arts? I would say yes, but I can't because it has ties to paganism and I don't promote anything that has ties to paganism. If working out itself has ties to paganism, I'm not going to, I can, I'll stop. I don't do yoga. Yoga is tied to Hinduism. I don't believe in a balance. I believe in always making yourself better. I believe in improving yourself in Christ Jesus. First and foremost, growing in Christ Jesus is your priority. Work on yourself spiritually. Make work on yourself mentally. Make work on yourself physically. Because those are the three things you have. Everything else you won't have. Even the physical on and even on the physical aspect. Eventually, eventually, even as much as even as much as you try to work them out, um, it's gonna fail you. I watch wrestling. Like those guys wear tights and you can see their legs. Batista said that he's lose he's lost a lot of mass on his legs and he's that's a guy that works out. Same as Goldberg. Um the Royal Rumble was very recently and he was wearing biker shorts, biker tights. Those weird pants that those weird shorts that are t- really tight but just go above the knees. And so yeah, the physical will ultimately give up. But I always find it interesting that people like Moses, physique, never never dwindled. Like they were strong. Moses was strong in his old age. And arguably he was stronger in his old age because he didn't have to deal with the Israelites. And that's not a knock on the Israelites because we make fun of the Israelites, but we are all just like them, very stubborn people. I'm stubborn, I'll tell you. If I was, if I, and I always say this is that you can give the Israelites a hard time if, with with the, with the case of hindsight. But if you were there. In the camp, you'd complain. If you saw Jesus, you wouldn't believe he was the Messiah because he was just some carpenter's kid. In fact, they believed that he was. A bastard. Every time, every time they're arguing with Jesus, they say, we don't even know who your father is. They say things like that. Because, well, it was pretty obvious that Mary was pregnant before the, before her and Joseph got married. Nazareth is a very small, is a very small village. And so the women could even be the men. I don't know who does most of the gossiping. Before my channel was called misogynistic. 
whoever saw the gospel and somebody said that look at Mary look at Mary look at Mary look at Mary she's already pregnant that just for not you know how people are some women say oh I saw her that brothel you know they add things as if they were part of it they add extreme things and so Jesus in just read John chapter 8 John chapter 8 is the best example of how they did not believe in Jesus' legality and they believed that he was illegitimate so that's basically what this apologetics is um, thank you for your time. You know, it's very weird that I can... It's not for like an hour. Maybe for you it's going to feel like an hour. But me speaking here has not felt like an hour. So thank you for your time. Stay safe. Live in love. Save a life. God bless you. Shalom. Welcome. 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 To the Grace Apologetics Podcast. My name is Victor Mlinger. And um, it's been a while since I put up an episode. I've been busy doing other things. And so a lot of my other projects have been suffering. Like this one and the blog too. But um, the book's doing well. And other things are doing well. But I have, I think I've, I, I have found the perfect balance. And I, and I hope there won't be any gaps in episodes like the stretch that just happened. Anyway, today we'll be talking about the Trinity. We'll be discussing the Trinity. You know that crazy thing, that crazy thing in the Christian theology that has the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit where there is a lot of confusion on what is what and who is who. So I'll be answering questions on that. Hopefully I'll do a good job. But anyway, he will never know. Okay, so question one. How is it possible for three separate living things to all be one? Now this is where the doctrine of the Trinity needs to be understood against the doctrine of Unitarianism. Alright? Unitarianism is one God that manifests himself. I hope that makes more sense. That manifests himself as the Father, as the Son, and as the Holy Spirit. Um, a lot of people, a lot of like it's it's like one God and then like branches like di- different manifestations instead of different persons. And this is where a lot of people miss it about the Trinity because they even make jokes about Jesus praying to Himself. And we're gonna get to that, but that's one thing you can understand is that with Unitarianism, it is one God in three manifestations. But with Trinitarianism, it is one God. By that we mean the nature, the divine nature, the eternal nature, the the omnipresent nature, the omnipotent, the omniscient. I like how I said that, omniscient. <laughs> yes, but one nature. They are one 
when we say that they are one God, we basically mean what they are is this. This is their character. These, these are the characteristics that summarize what that is. In fact, a good way to say this is how Tim Barnett said it, is that that is what they are. What they are is God. But who they are is the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. All right. Like he gave an example of beings and persons. A being is what something is. And a person is who something is. So a stone can be a being, but not a person. That's how three, that's how, that's how it is possible for three separate living things to be one. Because in their essence, what they are, their nature is God. But in that nature of being God, the persons that comprise of that are the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit who have different thoughts and who speak to each other and have different wills. However, they choose to submit to one will because the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit know that. It would be chaotic if they were if they were not in one accord. A monster is a being that has two heads, or in this case, it can be a being with three heads. That is three separate wheels. And that's why a lot of houses are crumbling because they are because everybody comes with their autonomical worldview and neither one would want to submit to the other and that's why God gave a good design for what marriage looked like and marriage should mirror how the Trinity is is that yes they are on equal standings but however one submits to the other who submits to the other and none of them make and that makes neither one of them less of God. Question number two Are the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit equal? Now if you have a Textus Receptus Bible, that is a King James or a New King James, you can go to first John chapter five and verse seven. It's not in the other Bibles. It'll be like, oh, it was added in later. I Honestly, I'm not very comfortable with Westcott and Hot's influence on the Bible. I'm also not comfortable with Bibles that were gotten from the Alexandrian Codices. I prefer Textus Receptus Bibles. But this is not that video. <laughs> Sorry, not video. This is not that podcast. So it's not something that I'm going to concern myself too much about today. But yes, let's go to John, 1 John 5 verse 7. And it says, For there are three that bear witness in heaven. Or the three that bear record in heaven. The Father, the Word, quote, the Son. Per references, rather. Brackets. The Son 
and the Holy and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. They are equal based on that piece of scripture. If so, why didn't God the Father come down to earth as a baby? That was not the plan. <laughs> it's that simple. You don't really need to overthink these things. Here's the thing is that if we go to Psalm chapter 2, which I believe is a conversation between or among, rather, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, you can clearly see that based on the plan, the Son willingly submits to the Father in order to save humankind. He says this in Psalm chapter 2. And verse 7, I will decree the decree. The Lord, Yahweh, or Yovevaveh, or Yehovah, however you don't pronounce that, hath said unto me, Thou art my son, this day I have begotten thee. Ask for me, and I shall give you, and I shall give thee the heathens for thine inheritance, and the uttermost part of the earth for thy possession. And then from there we can jump to we can jump to Isaiah chapter nine. Isaiah chapter nine and verse six to seven, which says, For unto us a child is born, that's the human, unto us a son is given. Because now the son willingly submits to himself. He is the one who is given to be born as a child. And the government shall be upon his shoulders and his name shall be Wonderful Counselor, the Almighty God, the everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. So if the plan was for God the Father to come down on earth, I believe he would have been the one to come down on earth. Or if the Holy Spirit was not supposed to come down on earth, he would have come down on earth. Well, the Trinity is not that complicated. They know that specific role. They know the specific role they play in salvation. And so it's not something that you need to you need to scratch your head about. Why is God's name Jesus when that just refers to one third of the Trinity? Exactly. The Father is not Jesus. The Holy Spirit is not Jesus. Jesus is Jesus. Jesus is the Son. Jesus is the Word. However you want to refer to Him, nobody refers to the Father as Jesus. In fact, that's one of the errors that people make in prayer because we ought to pray in the name of Jesus. And you hear some people going, saying, um, Dear Jesus, or something like that. When we are taught to pray to the Father by Jesus himself, he says that when you pray, say Father. So already, we already know where our prayers are directed. In fact, just prayer. When it comes to prayer, you can break it down like this. is that you pray to the Father in the name of Jesus through the help of the Holy Spirit. That's how the Trinity, that's how simple it is to understand the Trinity. It's nothing, nothing major. A lot of people that don't understand the Trinity just feel like, they, they try to ask questions that are really 
really unnecessary but i try not to say questions are necessary because questions help in growth question number um okay i'm just on the going on the top of what i said the it's not numbered why did jesus ask his father to forgive them for they know not what they're doing when he won the cross surely if they were equal Jesus wouldn't need to ask God the Father to forgive these people as he could have as he could have he could do it himself. Yes, Jesus can forgive sin, but again, the context of the situation is what's important. Let's go to second Corinthians chapter five and verse twenty-two. Second Corinthians chapter five and verse twenty. Let's say twenty-two. I meant twenty-one. <gasps> I'm sorry about that. Anyway. For he hath made him to for he hath made him to be a sin for us. Who knew no sin that we may be the righteousness of God. This is where substitutionary atonement needs to be understood. That at the time that Jesus was at the cross, he bore the sins of the world. If you read throughout the New Testament, the only time that Jesus caused the Father God was when he was on the cross, when he said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? At that time, there was a separation. God cannot be where this sin is. Just imagine the contradiction, the spiritual contradiction that was going on within Jesus because his God nature and the sin nature of the world became one. Anywho, in the context of that situation where Jesus was crying out, my father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing, is that at the time, Jesus was not able to forgive sin because he became the sin himself. We understand, it's very clear from scripture that Jesus can't forgive sin. Right before that, just right before his ministry from the time he started, from his baptism by John the Baptist up until his crucifixion. You can read many times when Jesus forgives sin. He says to he says to a certain man, My son, your sins are forgiven, to the which the Pharisees go blasphemy. <gasps> but because Jesus is God, he can forgive sin. That's a characteristic that is only exclusive to God. But in the context of that situation, Jesus was not able to do it because he was the sin himself. What is the Holy Spirit's name? This might be this might sound like a compound answer, but the Holy Spirit is not given a name because he's not here to testify about himself. Even in type form, anytime the Holy Spirit is given as a type, he's usually an unnamed helper. Maybe the only exception to the rule is the case of when Abraham tells, when Abraham is finding a wife for his son Isaac, we understand there that the man that helped the whole situation was named Eliezer. However, more often than not, whenever the Holy Spirit is used in type form, he is used as an unnamed helper because he is not here to testify of himself. 
is here to testify of Jesus. Okay. If God the Father and God the Son are one, where was God the Father when Jesus was on earth? Why was he, why was he on why was he on earth with Jesus? I don't understand that question, but I assume it deals with locality. I think the best ex- the, the easiest the easiest verse that can explain where God the Father was when Jesus was on earth is in Matthew chapter 3 I'm going off the top of my head <laughs> and there here during the baptism in Matthew chapter 3 we can see clearly let me just read it chapter 3 and verse let's start from verse 13 then Jesus came then Jesus cometh then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan to John to be baptized but John forbade him King James forbade him saying I have need to be baptized of thee, and comest thou to me? And Jesus answering him said, Suffer it not be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he said, Then he suffered, then he suffered him. And Jesus, when he was baptized, went straight away to went straight away, straight straightway out of the water and lo the heavens opened and he saw the spirit of god descending like a dove and lighting upon him and lo a voice from heaven where was the father he was in heaven that simple remember one being three persons when Jesus was on earth, why did he pray to the Father? If they're both one, why would he pray to himself? Again, it's not him praying to himself. One being three persons. The persons can interact. That's characteristics of persons. Is that is that that's the characteristic of being three distinct persons, is that you can interact with another member and that other member can interact with you no one no one the bible does not teach that jesus was interacting with himself like a lot of people like jesus was 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 schizophrenic he used to hear he used to speak to himself no 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 it has nothing to do with that it has everything to do with them being different and then maybe a, maybe a possible a proper question would be why would Jesus pray to God if they're equal? But we can see the answer to that in Philippians chapter two. Philippians chapter two. Philippians chapter two. Let's start from verse five. Let this be in your mind, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being the form of God thought it was robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. 
and being found in the fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, and even the death of the cross. See, Jesus did not stop being God when he came on earth. He just willingly submitted to the Father. And as a human, he showed his dependence on God. As humans ought to be dependent on God. When he was in Gethsemane, he showed that dependence on God. By sweating blood and crying out to the Father. Asking him to take the cup of suffering away from him. Because he became man and he subjected himself to what man, what goes on in man. That he may understand us. And we have an and so that we may have a high priest that knows what goes what we go through in this life. So it's so the basic thing that I've gotten from these questions is just an understanding. It's just people need an understanding of what the Trinity is, because it seems to be a lack of understanding because it's based on the idea that um that the Father that God just makes himself, just manifests himself in different forms, one at a time, which is contrary to the case. Remember, there are three. Yeah, just the gist. I just want you to remember that there are three persons that make up one being. One plus one plus one is three. Yet one times one times one is one. God bless.